And I think all of us here today are probably familiar with the 19th century fictional uh, British detective, uh, Sherlock Holmes, and of course his famous line, well, that's elementary, dear Watson. Well, Holmes had a keen power of observation that solved countless crimes. And yet, few of us know that Holmes thought deduction and observation were even more necessary when it came to religion. Tucked away in the adventure of the Naval Treaty, uh, Holmes is found studying a rose. And Watson narrates, He walked past the couch to an open window and held up the drooping stalk of a moss rose. Looking down at the dainty blend of crimson and green, it was a new phase of his character to me. For I'd never seen him before show such an interest in natural objects. There's nothing which deduction is so necessary, he said, as religion. Leaning on his, with his back against the shutters, our highest assurance of the goodness of providence seems to me to rest in the flowers. All other things, our powers, our desires, our food, are really necessary for our existence in the first instance. But this rose is an extra. Its smell and its color are an embellishment of life, not a condition of it. It is only goodness which gives extras. And so I say again that we have much to hope from the flowers. Jesus said as much in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Let me read it for you. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what about what you will drink uh, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single day to your life or a single hour? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Did I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these? If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What, what will we, shall we eat, or what, what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We have a good God, which is why we're speaking today about the goodness of God. And one of life's fascinating moments for us is when we see a kitten chasing its own shadow. It tries hard to catch it, but every time it pounces, what happens? The shadow moves. And when it moves, the shadow moves with it. Well, not so. With our God, the book of James declares, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God never changes. As the great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, proclaims, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. 
Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. God does not change. And all of this to say that God is immaterial and therefore not capable of casting a shadow. Remember, God is spirit. And also, this portrays to us that there's no shadow side of God in a figurative or a moral sense. Shadows suggest darkness. And in spiritual terms, darkness is evil. And since there is no evil in God, there's no hint of darkness in him either. He is the father of lights. You know, uh, every July 4th on my father's side of the family, the Nelson clan gathers up at a lake south of Hibbing, Minnesota. My late uncle George had a cabin there on the lake originally, and then my only surviving uncle has a year-round home residence right next to his uh, uh, on the lake. And then on the opposite side, we have a distant relative who has a life, a year-round home where they live also. So this gathering takes place every year on the 4th of July, and of course there's horseshoes, and there's volleyball and there's yard games and there's grilling out and my late uncle he had a big fire pit that was a brick fire he liked to cook over an open fire and so he would be just preparing a wonderful meal for everybody sometimes we'd have as many as 100 people would show up there on that particular and there's of course playing cards and board games and there's swimming and fishing and tubing and all of that and one of these years maybe eight or ten years ago two of my cousin's husbands wanted me to pull them tubing uh, with one of their boats and of course that I couldn't uh, uh, resist and if you can get them out on the lake and do a nice little s and then get it coming around where you completely circle them back around on a full circle and then bring them back into the waves you just created you should have seen some of the wipeouts I mean, a few of them, I think, thought they had a descending colon when they were coming down because it was like they were separated. Uh, And anyway, we get back to the shore in front of all these people that are there. One of these cousins' husbands, his name was Jeff, says to everybody standing there in presence, Daryl, you may be a man of the cloth, but you sure have a little devil in you. (laughs) Well, there's no darkness in God. There's no shadow of turning in God. There are no variations, no gray. God is the father of light. And it's not just enough for us to understand this in terms of God being immutable, God being unchanging. This is a reference to God's character, his perfection. God is altogether good, consistently good. And God doesn't know anything but good in that sense. And you know, you should know this, that God's goodness refers to both God's character and it refers to God's behavior. And that all God's actions proceed and flow out from his being. God acts according to what and who he is. And just like a blighted crop cannot produce good food, neither can an incorrupt God produce corrupt fruit. As the psalmist said in the beginning of Psalm 85, verse 12, the Lord will indeed give what is good. God always acts according to his own character, which is eternally, immutably, and intrinsically good. And James says, every good and perfect gift comes from God. You see, God is not the only the ultimate standard of goodness. God is also the source of all 
goodness. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. Now this verse on the providence of God is as challenging to understand as it is comforting. If God is able to make everything that happens to us work together for our good, then ultimately everything that happens to us is good. But the problem, though, is that everything that happens to us here on earth and in this fallen world isn't always good. It's not always good. We can be mistreated. We can be slandered. We can experience injustice in this world. We can be assaulted. We can be harmed. We can be robbed. I could go on and on and on, all the way to being murdered or killed. And none of these things are good. And we can experience all kinds of heartache and loss in this world through no fault of our own. And in all of this, one thing we must never do is call evil good or good evil. So what's the deal? Well, do you remember in the Old Testament all of the bad things that happened to Joseph? He was sold into slavery by his own family, his own brothers. He, he was falsely accused of molesting the attorney general's wife, the highest in the chain of command and law enforcement in Egypt, Potiphar. He was, he was accused falsely of molesting her, and he languished in prison for years. None of these things were good. But God, the God of goodness, was working to bring about good when all was said and done. This is what Joseph said to his brothers, who once, once they discovered who this powerful man of Egypt was who was standing before them, was their brother, Joseph, who they'd sold into slavery. Once they figured that out, it was like, oh my word, we're dead. He's going to put the screws to us. That's what's going to happen. We're done for. Now, here's what Joseph said, chapter 50, verses 19 and 20 of the book of Genesis. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what now is being done, the saving of many lives. God, the God of goodness, was working in those terrible circumstances to bring about good for all of Israel. You know, in the Roman text that the Apostle Paul, uh, we just read from Romans 8.28, he actually spells out in the very next verse, the first half of that, Romans 8.29, exactly how God defines good. Here's how God defines good. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. All the time, even when bad things are happening to us, God is working on our behalf to bring about good in our lives, especially what I would call the ultimate good in life, the making us to be more like Jesus and less like ourselves. You know, my wife and I are so appreciative of all your support, all your prayers, all your concern, all of your encouragement, and all of your help over this last month regarding our family circumstances as it's related to our oldest special needs daughter. This past week, we needed to clean uh, her former apartment and move some things out in preparation for her next move, which is at the end of this month, where she's able to move into an assisted living care apartment. Along with that this week, we had, in uh, uh, that effort, we had a number of important meetings with county officials where she lives who specialize in the kind of care that our daughter will need moving forward. See, you don't qualify for certain things until you hit certain benchmarks, and previously she didn't hit some of these benchmarks, but lately she has. 
And over the last month, none of this that we've been going through for Cindy and me has been easy. It's been absolutely exhausting, not to mention all of the heartache and the tears along the way. And frankly, even though many bad things, stressful things, and terrifying things occurred this past month, we can clearly see God's hand in all of this as we are now having to hand our daughter off and her care to the county and state in which she lives. Number one, we figured out that these services that generally take months to acquire will be there day one when she moves in. And because of all the events that transpired, they actually expedited her case. This is the government, okay? The government doesn't expedite anything, okay? If, if it's the government, if you think it's three to four months, you might as well say eight to ten, maybe a year. And in less than a couple of weeks, they've expedited everything to put in place the helps she's going to need. We also know that we cannot live under the stress that we've been living under for the last month. It's not good for our health. I've broken out hives all over my arms and on my chest. You know, it just a, a load of stress. Just take my work is enough stress, but add this kind of stress on, it's, it's been too much. Not to mention the fact that both of us are getting older. And it's not that many more years where we're not going to be able to help our daughter out anyway. So God has used these terrible circumstances to make the path straight before us. In other words, we can see now all of the good that's coming out of this after the fact. A month ago, we couldn't see any of this. Thirdly, it was, it's been very important in this transition for Cindy and I to hear from these experts who specialize in these services that our daughter will need that we have done, uh, uh, what we've done for her over the years, they told us is truly remarkable. They told us they encounter very few, few people who care for loved ones uh, uh, who have done all the things that we've done for our daughter. They said, you've turned over every stone. And you've done it to the point where here we are today to get these services that now she finally qualifies for. And that was important for us to hear in a situation like this because it's not easy. You, you tend to beat yourself up thinking, what did we miss? What could we have done? Should we have done more? And you're, it's easy to second guess yourself in those challenging moments of life, and to hear experts who deal with this every single day say, man, what you have done is absolutely remarkable. This is the gold standard of how people should be caring for loved ones with special needs. And then on our drive home Friday night, late Friday night, Cindy and I talked about how we could see God working in all of this, and we could see the timing being speeded up and everything, and, and how comforting that was to us. And, and, but we also talked about the fact that we could recognize God doing a work in our lives too and how he was conforming us more and more to be like Jesus and less and less to be like ourselves. Our only comment was, we wish it didn't have to hurt so much in that process. That's what we said. We wish it didn't have to hurt so much. And then when we arrived home at 9.30 p.m., exhausted Friday night, after two long 16-hour days, intense days, having a truck that's completely packed to the brim, inside and out with our daughter's things that, uh, you know, are part of the move that she, and some of that needed to be unloaded at night because of, uh, it couldn't freeze, and then we faced a predicament of snow, and I was thinking we'd only have a couple of inches of snow, 
but it was four to five inches at our, at our place. And we had family members that were out of town and unavailable to help us. So we pull in the driveway, and there's our neighbors, the husband and wife, 9.30 at night, shoveling our sidewalk, shoveling off our step and our deck so we could get everything in. And that's after they'd already plowed us out. And then they helped us haul everything in. It felt like God was saying to us at that moment, I know all about what you guys have been going through. And I know what's before you. I've got your daughter. And I have you. I am good. And I'm going to bring good out of all of this. Helen Mollicott wrote a poem about our powerful God regarding how good our God is. She entitled it, I Am. It goes as follows. I was regretting the past and fearing the future. Suddenly my Lord was speaking. My name is I Am. He paused. I waited. He continued. When you live in the past with its mistakes and regrets, it is hard. I am not there. My name is not I was. When you live in the future with its problems and fears, it is hard. I am not there. My name is not I will be. When you live in the moment, it's not hard. I am here. My name is I am. And I want you to know today, based upon God's word and based upon God's actions in this world, that I am is a good God. Would you pray with me, please? God, our Father, we thank you for your goodness. God, we in no way, shape, or form deserve your patience. We don't deserve your mercy. We don't deserve your grace. None of it. All the attributes that, that portray your goodness. God, we don't, we don't deserve that. Any of the good gifts that you give to us in life, we deserve none of that. But God, thank you that you are a good God and that you act out of your being, out of your perfections, of who you are. And that's how you act in this world. And that's how you act toward us. And so we thank you so much, God, that that's the confidence we can have as we live in this broken and fallen world that can, is very good at dishing out pain and heartache, that we have a good God who's got our back, who's looking over us and watching over us. And we praise you for that today in Jesus' name.